Yeah, so I'm not out yet, which is kind of why. And I also, but also because of that group of people, I don't think any of them would be surprised because of all like the weird uh, assumptions people thought of me in that group growing up too. And if by not out sense, at, like, out yet, you mean you haven't come out that you are no, you don't, God is dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about being gay. Um, God, I'm God is dead. About, I'm talking about, uh, Hail Satan. I'm just kidding. I just say that to <laughs> piss people off. That's, that's all. <laughs> so it's okay. We're, we're, this um, is, this is apparently, apparently people think that I'm starting a cult now. So this could be an offshoot of the cult, something that we do in the cult. Yeah. So. Maybe, yeah, just maybe like, that's what's happening. Maybe it's not Hail Satan, but maybe it is a cult. Well, I mean, isn't podcasting a cult on some level anyway? Like everyone uh, who starts, runs a podcast is part of the podcasting cult. I've Absol- done it. Absolutely. You all have done it. Yeah. We're in this. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite part. And then you start meeting yes. really cool podcasters and then they want you to come onto their shows. Yeah. And See? yeah, it is. Yeah. It's definitely a lifestyle, a podcasting lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah, you meet a lot of, we've already met a lot of cool people through this and the community. And, um, but also I think if you stumbled upon it, then probably other people have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also if you're looking for it, like, yeah, because that's true. Nate, weren't you already like in that deconstruct, you've been in this deconstruction of your own for quite some time. So you were kind and you're of a already- podcaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're looking for that kind like your brain is already kind of channeled towards those things. So you're going to notice them. Like I have a lot of friends who are still quite Christian who follow my Instagram. And I post about this from time to time on my own Instagram page. And I don't know if they're really registering what I'm doing or if they're just ignoring it. But none of them have said anything yet. So I'm kind of like, and they're still talking to me. So I'm like, well, maybe they just don't care. Or maybe they, they genuinely haven't like really looked into it because they're not interested in podcasts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, the ad, the, uh, or sorry, the, the social algorithms definitely know. Uh, and I think that's probably how I found the, sh- found the show. Like it, it yeah. uh, I'm often served, um, I don't know, like, <laughs> occultic or like that's what i would have called it growing up like uh, like secular uh, sec- yeah, very secular posts secular yeah worldly yeah yeah that's- we're very worldly with our memes on instagram <laughs> right. right yeah yeah exactly yeah i i picture you posted the tiktok today to the instagram with jesus talking oh, to yeah. the disciples so and- <laughs> uh do you want to be called Nate or Nathaniel? I grew up calling you Nate, so it's second nature. But I want to, I want to know what you want to be called. Thanks. Yeah, I, I go by I go by Nathaniel these days, so uh, okay. I will I All will right. respond to Nate. Yeah. Okay, but. I'll call you Nathaniel. Um, but Nathaniel and I grew up with uh, them because um, our dear mm. friend Brian and his friend Ben started Friend Doc Studios which are mm-hmm. great. You guys yes. should check them out. Um they have amazing skits and they had a podcast for like 2 seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you go to their website you can find it and it's really funny. Uh, Brian um, and talks they do, a lot. Is that what it was? Brian talks a lot. <laughs> yeah, Brian talks a lot is what it's called. Our it's podcast amazing. should be Molly talks but, a lot. Um, <laughs> I know it's just <laughs> But um, yeah, so they have content like that and it is, it's so funny. And when it popped up on my TikTok today, I was like, 
Oh, there's GOP Jesus. I remember this. They made it like four years ago. Or so the, wait, but. those were your friends in that TikTok? Yeah. No. Okay. That's even funnier now. Everyone go to the Instagram. Wait, well, this is going to air later this week. So the TikTok. Will ben be. and scroll, I scroll backwards. In. Go scroll way <laughs> down in the timeline. Yes. Uh, ben and I were in Les Mis together in uh, Oh, that's youth fucking theater. secular. Like, what the heck? No, but it was Christian youth theater. Christian. Yeah, okay. it wasn't. Oh. It wasn't the other one where we only did stories about martyrs. Hey, there's uh, there was... are there there Wait. are prostitutes in that show. So that's I know. I know. Wait, you were in a theater group that only did stories about martyrs. Yes. Go into that. Yes. I need to know uh, more. Nathaniel was a main character of one. <laughs> Would you like to talk about that? Oh, <laughs> and then we'll man. back up and start the show Christian, how we should. Christian theater. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me, I'll, I'll go at it from the, uh, what I missed because of it first, because I think of that, think about that so much now. One, like I probably could have, uh, I probably would have enjoyed acting a whole lot more. If I had gotten to act in plays that were about interesting, real things yeah, um, no and way. not yeah. Christian propaganda, because uh, that's uh, absolutely what it was. So it was a, uh, I mean, was basically really a, fucking a weird. proselytizing theater group. Like, wow. I don't know how else to explain it. Like, did we have alt- did we have altar calls? Were there altar calls? At no, the- but I wouldn't have been surprised if there was yeah. uh, at the end of actually. I feel like there was some. There totally was some. Also, ooh, also, that show where I was the lead was, uh, had a little bit of a a light gang violence sprinkled in. And thinking about it in retrospect, 90% of the people who played in that show were white. (laughs) Uh, And we were definitely playing Hispanic characters, probably some black characters. No one was in blackface. But what, what's that called if you're not in Some blackface? But really, you're we're insinuating. Th- no. Uh, so Brian played the Hispanic guy, and I remember his, they darkened his face a little bit. Oh actually. no! I had thought it was about more that orangey, just now. And he had like a brownish hair; like it was horrible. Did but, you um, all perform in like schools and churches, or were you in actual theaters? Like, we were in actual theaters theater theater for this yeah. one. Where were these doing the altar calls to these like? racist christian propaganda i don't think we did one for that one i'm i think it was farther back when i was younger that i remember some altar calls that's wild. but um this one was called the cross and the switchblade and it was the story of david wilkerson david wilkerson yeah he started teen (laughs) challenge uh which i don't know i haven't like since deconstructing i hadn't i've never gone back to read about it but i remember at the time i thought it was dope as fuck uh, but right. of course, I wouldn't have used those words. Um, it's real neat, guys. <laughs> this is real neat, guys. Um, it was freaking cool. I probably would say, yeah, freaking cool. Mm-hmm. So, okay, f- funny. I, I want to say this story though, because uh, about cussing. Uh, the first time that I hung out with Brian, uh, the guy from the TikTok that we were the talking guy about from earlier. The TikTok, yeah. right. The first time that I hung out with him after, like, like I guess post this acting days thing. Um, I intentionally cussed a whole lot because I wanted to signal to him very clearly when we hung out, like, Hey, 
I'm a very different person. I want to make sure that you know that so that we can be in a safe space here to just be ourselves and <laughs> not pretend. Wouldn't it have been easier just to say that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cussing's pretty easy. <laughs> I feel like Clearly I went through a phase. you didn't feel safe enough either. <laughs> when yeah, I, well, when it was I like a, it was like a, does he know? Do I, yeah. like, does he know? Like, yeah. it was like a tiptoeing, yeah, yeah. like, is, is he, has he deconstructed? I don't know. Let's. Did you feel like you uh, swore, like, just like an excessive amount right after you left your church community. Cause I feel like once I was out of my parents' house and I was in college, my link, I was so, I was worse than a sailor. Like, I think I swear a lot now, but it was probably 10 to 15 times worse in college. You had to get it out. I, I mean, did. It, it was, was all pent up. Just, yeah. Well, I definitely like, I, I started my uh, pre I started cussing pre deconstruction and it was like, that was a cool liberating moment of being in the faith that I was like, oh. I'm going to cuss and still worship Jesus. This is cool. Um, look yeah, at how progressive Jesus I am. Jesus right? is so fucking awesome. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Holy shit, this song, it's my shit. <laughs> Let's throw, throw a few F-bombs into this uh, praise and worship. Just Guys, sing my God's ass so off in the praise. Cool. <laughs> Singing my ass off in the praise choir. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So actually, I mean, That's that doesn't, amazing. so I, I guess I hadn't thought about that. It, it really wasn't a good, uh, a sufficient signaling because it, uh, they weren't mutually exclusive for me. But Yeah. Yeah. But usually if someone's cussing that much, <laughs> they've left the fold. <laughs> They're on the road to darkness. Uh, or they you have know, growing a... up, the word uh, weird was a, wasn't a word that was, I mean, it's not a cuss word. But it, we weren't supposed to say the word weird because weird. apparently that sounds very familiar. You've heard this, yeah? Because apparently, if you go in the dictionary, it talks about witchcraft, and oh, we I'm don't do weird. witchcraft. I definitely do witchcraft. Oh, that's <laughs> guys. Welcome to Cheers to Leaving, yeah, an evangelical welcome. podcast. <laughs> this is Molly. I'm Rachel, and today we have a very special guest. His name is Nathaniel Bozarth. Yay! Well, I don't know about very special, like slightly special. Well, Rachel, <laughs> a, little, a little bit special. <laughs> Rachel and Nathaniel go way back, as you might have gathered from our very long intro conversation. <laughs> <laughs> they were in Christian theater together, as as mm-hmm. we ones, we tots. How old were you when you met? You've known each other know. your whole life, like, like probably kids. twelve, I probably. Okay, yeah. Well, when Wait, we did that play 10? together, yeah, wow. No, it was younger than that. When we did that play together, and you were the lead, and we had that little dance number, um, I was thirteen. But I know you're a little bit, you're a little bit older than me, right? Yeah, like slightly. I actually, what don't were know. you fifteen? Maybe I don't know. I I, 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 I really so can't remember. Ago. Locked so, it out. So, so they met shit. back at yeah. Christian, Christian youth camp. And then Nathaniel, how, how did you find out about the podcast? You were just like scrolling on Instagram one day or what happened? I think someone shared a story. I think it was uh, someone shared uh, shared one of your Instagram shared stories or something. one of my memes. And how That's long right. did, you, did it take you uh, to realize it was Rachel? Uh, it took me, a, I, I think, a, a little bit. Like I, I, was, I was just like, oh, this is a really great set of memes. Like I like this... Uh, I like, you know, digging up some of the, the shit from the past and just 
feeling validated that it was crazy as fuck. And, uh, and then at some point I looked at the profile image and I was like, hold on a second. I know her. I know who that is. I know her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what were, what were your feelings when you, when you recognized Rachel and you're like, oh, this is who's running this page. Like, I was like because it could have yeah. been any, it could have been anyone. Like, that's the thing. This could have been an Instagram account from Europe. Like, but no, it was literally <laughs> someone you grew up with. <laughs> I mean, it's, it feels so validating because to know that people went through the same shit that you did and have similarly come to uh, a better realization. Um, to come to a place of like, oh, that was fucked up. Uh, yep. It feels super validating. And then it's super cathartic to, to shitpost. Oh, it's so yes. cathartic. It's so I love our Facebook group where I run that. I shitpost in there. Rachel shitposts mm-hmm. on the gram. It's so fun. Yeah, I invited Nathaniel. He should be in there too. Yay. Yeah, welcome welcome yeah. to the Facebook group fam. We it's need cool. a name for our podcast listeners and Facebook group people. I was thinking about that. We need a fun, creative, catchy name. Maybe Nathaniel, maybe hmm. you can help us with this one. Oof. Uh, I mean, it doesn't lend itself uh, well to like a Bayhive or <clears throat> I know uh, Believers. Uh, C- we could be C-T- Believers. <laughs> no. Justin C-T-Libers. Bieber is Justin Bieber is like an like evangelizing at every show that he has. So now. is Kanye. Man, it totally fucking bums me out. Both yeah. of those people, both of those people. Kanye is a gifted artist. Like he's amazing. And he's totally I think he just preaches now. He That's just preaches. He yeah. He gets on stage and, and tries to run for president. And... That too. Yeah. Uh, it's a okay. I, I can't lie. Sunday service is like <clears throat> an amazing piece of art. Yes. Oh, the song. No, like the whole performance, like what yeah. he does on Sundays oh, is a piece I haven't of art. It. It's amazing. So if you watch my next guest with David Letterman on Netflix, he has um, an episode with Kanye. It's actually really good. And you get to see a little bit of what Sunday service is. And it's like this whole experience of like, you just have to watch it. And he came to Chicago and did it. And I'm from Chicago. And so I got to listen to it live on the radio like driving down oh, okay. Lakeshore wow. Drive on a Sunday and like past Soldier Field or where was he doing it? Um, he was doing it at um, this one venue that I actually ended up driving past and it was kind of cool, like listening to it live on the radio and it is a piece of artwork. I mean, Kanye is a fantastic musician and producer and artist, but he's, yeah, evangelizing at his shows is interesting. A bummer. He's like, he for me, he's, uh, I feel guilty now anytime I listen to him, but there's just something about his I, he, I think he's an artistic genius. His production Absolutely. style, I love anything that he produces ever. So when I listen to his more recent albums, I like, I love it, but I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing <laughs> this. Yeah, that's how I feel about like when I listen to artists who I know like beat women sometimes, like Chris Brown. Like I'll listen to Chris Brown and I'll be like, yeah, and he like almost killed Rihanna. <laughs> but like this song slaps. <laughs> It's it's really I have a very split uh, conscience with uh, music and artwork because I yeah. I can see and appreciate the art but like the person it's attached to is like a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean life is complex. Like that's uh, I really like football. I love the NFL and uh, the NFL uh, takes advantage of people uh, and uh, creates false American dreams for thousands of inner city youth and uh, gives people. Uh, traumatic brain injury so um also that like um the super bowl is one of the biggest sex trafficking events in the world yeah so yeah lots to support so there's there. that like, it's, it's, it, yeah 
Can we enjoy anything? No, we can't. We're not allowed to enjoy anything anymore. Everything not here is awful. <laughs> Everything is Everything's awful. Not, <laughs> Everything Everything's not, not awful. Wait a second. You guys can't clear that. Can you clear that? You got to get that cleared. I don't know. We changed the oh, words. Oh, you're right. We're not famous Shit. yet. It's fine. It's will, fine. No one out. cares about us. It's not like going on Facebook where they can like <laughs> remove us for for <laughs> Warner Brothers songwriting. Oh, <laughs> man. It would always be well, like let's put this- in our show notes. We do not own the rights to this song. Yeah, because apparently putting that on your Facebook status when posting a video is going to keep Facebook from taking your video down. Right. Oof. Weird. The copyright okay. note. Let's back up. Let's talk about Nathaniel. Uh, yeah. So just give us a little bit of background. Tell us about your upbringing, um, being raised in the church, how you found your way out. And it doesn't have to be a huge long story, but just whatever you feel like sharing. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, I mean, I grew up super conservative, uh, some, a little, uh, spark notes, uh, or highlights of what what I mean, or sorry, conservative and Christian, both uh, conservative in that Democrats were evil, and uh, uh, Christian in that I couldn't listen to anything that any music that was not Christian. And goody two shoes enough? I don't know. Like like obviously there are many children like me who figure out well I can go get a CD or go on <laughs> Napster as it was back in the day and listen to other music uh then my parents would let me but i wasn't that kind of kid i was like i'm gonna yeah you're a good kid I'm you just have to obey. wait till like when the technology is more advanced than what your parents understand and then that's like when you start listening to more oh i illegally moments. downloaded uh so much music but it was yeah. all like christian metal and christian <laughs> hip-hop uh, not the christian hip-hop <laughs> right uh, and then, and then, actually, someone that we—I'm not going to say who—but someone we both know, Rachel. Uh, when I would listen to the Christian hip hop uh, loudly in my car, uh, it totally like reamed me out one day for it. Like, what? Like, what is it? What is it with with people and and they get their cars and then they listen to hip hop so loud and it was like, what? 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 But it was anyway. Christian hip hop. Mind your business. Yeah. Yeah. For real. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that, 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 uh, I think succinctly brings together a lot of what my, my childhood was like. I was homeschooled up until seventh grade. Then I went to public school and it was dope. Um, I think I'm, I think, uh, like, man, I have so many regrets from my childhood of being like, uh, leading Bible studies at my public school. Oh my God. And the cringe. You I were know. that kid. Were you, did you walk no, into it's school worse. with your Bible? Like it was Absolutely. out. You didn't even put it in your backpack. No, Nathaniel, you wanted... I remember this about him. He was very into Jesus and Extremely very Bible proud. thumpery. Yeah. Wait, so yeah. you carried your Bible around outside of your book bag because you wanted people to see that you had a Bible. I, I, I wanted them to ask me about it. I wanted mm-hmm. them to ask me about it so that I could, you know, show them the way. Uh, yeah. Had like like you know, Christian bumper stickers and artwork on the inside of my locker, so that when I opened my okay. locker, you could see yeah. all that. I remember in my middle school, like literally having multiple meetings with the principal because I wanted to fight for the right to have my Bible study that I had at school. Um, Were you not allowed to have it? There, I can't remember what it was, but I remember, like, I look back and I think about that principal who I thought was the fucking devil. Because he was trying to get in the way of God's work. 
<laughs> no, he was like, I don't need you evangelizing my students when you're supposed to be focused on he's learning. Also like, he yeah, was protecting like, other students from me. Like he was yeah. literally trying to protect other students. Remember he made the argument, uh, which was like, well, if we let you uh, organize your Bible study here and, and it becomes a officially like school sanctioned, whatever club, then we also have to uh, have the Wiccans. And uh, yeah. they have to uh, have their being inclusive. section club. Yeah. And I actually wish that that would have happened. That would have been dope uh, in <laughs> retrospect. <laughs> but, he was uh, probably thinking of all the angry parents who were like, why is my child coming home and talking about how they asked Jesus into their heart? We are Islamic. Like, we're well, Muslim. Like, you, you know, what? One, one <laughs> why, thing why is this happening? <laughs> I think a consolation is that in all the years that I was hardcore trying to proselyte, proselytize people uh, I never like prayed the prayer with someone. I never. Succeeded. Oh, you never took it. You never closed the deal. I never. That's right. And I'm. I'm very never happy got the about third that. Base. <laughs> is that what that? Is? <laughs> yeah, that's third base of even of evangelism is praying the prayer, leading them in the prayer. What's uh? So what's second and first here? Oh, you know, getting them to like attend your Bible study and ask mm. you questions and talk to you. You know. I I got I did that. I closed. Second, I, I got, second base is like they want to come to church with you. Oh, well, I got to, I got to second base with many folks. Uh, yeah, they come to youth group with you. Yeah, you get them in with the free pizza. There's going to be free pizza and basketball, and then all your friends are like, "All right, let's go." And next thing they know, they're in a youth group service. Man, so true. Yeah, you uh, coerce yeah. people to go to those things. You're like, "Well, there's free food." Yeah, there was cool. It's so music. crazy to think about. A, yeah. all of that. Go ahead. We had yeah. what. Cool music. Uh, yeah, so yeah, cool. We had, I, like, I remember uh, in high school bringing someone to, to my youth group, and we had a, I mean, I think legit, well, actually, I, I am certain we legitimately had a very talented band. It, they were fantastic. Uh, they also had a very, like, hardcore kind of screamo vibe. Oh, yeah. Uh, the music was great, but I, he was definitely interested in, like, their artistry uh, above anything else that was going on. And I remember him commenting on the music, and I was like, that's point like what it's not what you're supposed to notice here it's not what i brought you here for um, the music isn't why we're here yeah but i mean so like if uh, l- let me name a few more like this because this feels good i want to name a few more things that i feel really bad yeah. about that i did yes uh, i want to hear these get like, it out so get it out ga- uh, gay friends that i had growing up when i found they were gay found out they were gay um i would totally not be friends with them anymore. Like Stop. I'm talking, I'm talking, I have at least one friend that we're like, we were really close. And then I found out he was gay and I was like, I can't be friends with you anymore. You broke his heart and gave him trauma because Dude. he probably is like these fucking Christians. When I first came out to my best friend, he was a Christian yeah. and then we couldn't be friends anymore. Yeah. Because I, and I'm, I, have, <laughs> I have apologized. I'm glad that like, as an adult, I've apologized to at least a couple folks um, that I did that to. Um, well, I mean, oh, yeah. Man. That poor uh, kid. Yeah, for <laughs> real. I feel bad like, for you. I really sure, do. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had mixed feelings though about being friends with gay people as well. I mean, it, it it's not like you did it because you didn't like them. It was just like you had this strong belief system where you were like, yeah. God doesn't want me to be friends with it, or my parents don't want me to be friends with these people, or I'm somehow betraying God. So like, it makes yeah. sense, but it's not fair and it's not cool of you. But oh, it totally sucked. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I ever was that like aware. We just like didn't talk about anything yeah, about don't like, ask, the don't LGBTQ. <laughs> yeah. And and there were definitely like queer people around me. I just didn't know what that was. I just oh, knew yeah. they were different. I didn't know why. 
Like I was so unaware. So I guess like I don't have that kind of experience because like I just maybe I was so isolated. Like being gay wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. I think it, I I remember in, in college, I was in a fraternity and that was a like total awakening to, I mean, think of all the things that I was sheltered from and now I'm Mm. in a fraternity. So that was a a big change. Uh, and I think it was mostly, (laughs) mostly good. Um, but unfortunately, even in college, I continued on that, that track. Like I just kind of wavered back and forth in college. I was like, it was like, you know, it was smooth sailing, like faithful uh, up until college. And then I started to kind of just pendulum swing back and forth. I'm like, I believe in God and I want to proselytize people. I don't give a fuck. And I just went back and forth (laughs) until kind of had a a, a breakage point at the, near the end of my, uh, yeah, the end of college, which was in response to a couple things. One, um, I was an anthropology major, so you can't study the world. You can't study people from all places and all times without getting a whole new perspective on what religion is, what's the purpose of religion, uh, and just how people experience the world. Like, that was wonderfully eye-opening. I think everybody should be an anthropologist. Um, (laughs) That's why they always teach us history and um, art appreciation and, like, all these things that I took, like, from a Christian curriculum. They always teach them from a Christian worldview. That's what they always say in every, like... I took a Christian worldview class. It was just a history class, Mm -hmm. but it was looking at history and different kinds of people and civilizations from a Christian worldview, which was basically just, this is how all these civilizations were shitty and why Christianity is superior. And and, by saying that, it's also, and white people are superior. Right. Yeah. It's totally, yeah, I was going to say that. It's like, it's clearly just tied up with, with Euro centralism. Euro, what am I trying to say? Um, It's Eurocentric. Yeah, yeah white, white supremacist, uh, colonialist mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> Barf. Uh, but the other thing that kind of led to, to me kind of deconstructing in college kind of ultimately was uh, that I kept running into traumatic church situations, like really toxic communities. And in fact, mm. you know, it wasn't that clean for me either because I, I did go to church after college. Um, and now that church has, uh, there's been a, a big fallout and there's been um, also podcast episodes about that church in particular and, um, and how, uh, uh, yeah, it was ex- extremely sexist and, and toxic uh, and racist. So wow. I, the deconstruction, I, I feel like it, it kind of was solidified in college, but uh, even afterwards, I kind of tried to, tried to go back and... They wouldn't have me. No, it was like always. You were like always searching. You wanted it to be good for you. I wanted, yeah. You were totally. like looking for what it was to you when you were younger, because it was something yeah. you were really bought into when you were younger. So it's almost like your it's older you self know, was, tr- yeah, and your yeah. older self was trying to reconcile with that, and so you kept going back, hoping that it was going to get better. But now your older self is seeing through all the the bullshit, yeah, and you're seeing like, oh, this isn't, this isn't working anymore this and maybe it never did work maybe i was just totally brainwashed so and isolated yeah and just missed out on shit <clears throat> there, there was yeah. this really really uh a beautiful and devastating moment that happened in a in an anthropology class uh it was called uh, it was our religion and culture class taught by uh, mike west who's a good friend of mine now uh and it was the first class of the of the semester 
and he was doing a human scatter plot. Um, so there's like 30 students in the class, and you imagine the the classroom. I'm using my hands, but no one can see my hands. Uh, imagine <laughs> the classroom as being like a, a a graph with an x and a y axis. So he says, okay. go over to. Um, so, so do you believe in God? Yes or no? Imagine that. Uh, wait, was it two? Whatever. So like, go go to this side of the class if you believe extremely yes. Go to this side if you mean extremely no. And then if you're unsure, like you go somewhere in the middle. So imagine we're moving around answering questions. And whatever the question was, uh, something about like, do you believe in God or do you have faith or is there a hell or something? I go to the extreme, like all the way in the corner. like, And I think it was probably, it was a point of pride that like, I'm going to go all the way to the corner. like, And then everyone here is going to see. That's right. Yeah. They're all watching. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly right. and we we had enough rapport the the professor and I at the time that he like he wasn't I don't know like I, I I'm I'm so like glad that he did this but for whatever reason he asked someone on the extreme other corner so who was an atheist to explain or no no what was it sorry he asked me to explain like why I was there like yeah. Nath- uh, Nathaniel reason. explain why you believe what you believe yada yada yada. And then he asks someone to to like explain away my explanation, which like looking back from a teaching perspective is probably like ruthless. But oh yeah, yeah. We were we were good friends. Like we we were we had a good relationship with the professor and I. So I think it was. So okay. you didn't feel like he was challenging you in a negative way. I think he was trying to give me a gift. Like I really think he was. But but like you were like oh I get to evangelize. Yeah. Yeah. And he was oh, like, I'm yeah. giving you a gift. and But you weren't upset by him doing this, where I feel oh. like someone could take that really personally. Like, why are you attacking me? <laughs> Interesting. No, you're right, though. I did feel, yeah. I, I remember the moment I was like, this is an opportunity to evangelize and convince all yeah. these other enlightened people about what I believe. So maybe, maybe he was doing it not because we had a good relationship, but because he was like, well, that's not fucking fair. Like Nathaniel can't do that. And then they're not exactly, be a counterpoint. Exactly. Exactly. Like that. I'm thinking from the, pers- like the professor's yeah. perspective, because if yeah. I was the professor and I- I'd be like, okay, we've got, you know, one student that I, re- I love this student. Right. But I know they're like super Christian right? and they're totally going to use this opportunity to talk it up right and then i have this other student who's t- really smart too and but like totally an atheist and i would like to see them go head to head but it has to be fair they both have to explain it to each other so so listen to what the atheist said oh like, boy listen to how like beautifully sublime it was so so mike says like uh, hey would can anyone kind of refute that or like give your perspective on what nathaniel just said and and the student says, I just think you wanted to belong. That Ew, was it. That That's was all it. she said. Damn. And the, and the rest of the day, like it was like I, I don't remember what happened the rest of that class. I don't remember what happened the rest of that day. I was identity crisis. Just yeah, instant. <laughs> wow. wow. And I'm like, I'm saying, I, I I was saying like I think it was a gift from from the professor Mike that he. That he facilitated that interaction because that, I mean, it really, it, it truly did change my life. Just that one moment, just those, I think you just, what, 10 words, seven words, I can't count on the fly. Uh, you wanted to belong. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's also so like intuitive of her to just say those 10 words from everything that you just said. Yeah. For her to just like see you and be like, 
you wanted to belong. That's yeah. yeah That's it's crazy. very inter- It's very interesting that someone so young would say that. I don't think I would have had the conscious mm. capability of summing something up in so few words. Yeah, in, well, in such a powerful way. We should also give her props for for saying it really gently. Like she was, yeah. she was almost nervous in the way she said it. Like she was almost yeah. like making herself smaller. Uh, that I, I think she knew that her words had great power. She knew that her wisdom had great power, and she was gentle in how she she gave it. Uh, I wonder. Beautiful. I wonder if she was someone who had deconstructed earlier in their life. Like, I wonder if she also came from a Christian background, because how can somebody who isn't from this background see it in that way at Mm. such, it's like at such a young age? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know her well enough. Like, or she must really know, she must have known a lot of Christians and to know what it, what, what being or she a could have like really family is. that she grew up yeah. that were all Christians. Right. Or, you know, yeah, she has to, other... she's, either, she's very close to it is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. Like she must've been very close to it to be able to have such an introspective, like just, just very like you, I think you just want to belong and then yeah. just like, leave it. Like that's it. Mic drop. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm floored. It was awesome. awesome. You were floored. Yeah. And yet you still went back to church. And I still went back to church. Because <laughs> you were like, I got to disprove this chick that it's not just about me belonging. I, <laughs> well, I, spent, I think, I mean, I spent, uh, I mean, the cry. Oh, gosh, that sounds way too Christian-y. I, I was going to say the cry of my heart. Um, the cry oh my of my God. heart. That is I so Christian. Isn't that a song? The cry <laughs> totally. of my heart? I'm sure it is. It's definitely oh in many God. songs. Uh, like, I, I remember, like, after that moment, like, I would cry out and uh, be like, God, I, I want to believe. Like, I, like, show your, like, help me to see, like, like praying, like, help me to see you. Like, I, I want to believe, but I fucking can't. Um, I know there's, like, every single Christian song has those lines, but, like, there's, like, two specific ones I keep hearing in my head. I don't remember the names of them. But, I, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm totally just, triggered. Like, like I'm lyrics. just, I'm yeah. saying cr- cr- all <laughs> the Christianese just, just comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and I, I, I do want to say, I do want to say, like, I, 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 rec- I uh, identify as ex-evangelical. I am still, like, unpacking so much trauma and stuff. I do... I, and I don't know if this is going to get me like yelled off this podcast. Uh, I do believe in like a God. Like I, I still like, I, I or and, and I think it is from that place of like, I so really want to, but it's not the Christian maybe? God. Yeah. Agnostic or like universalist. Like, yeah, you believe in uh, a higher power and a higher intelligence yeah, and something like, bigger than us. That's kind of making everything happen. I think Allah is dope as fuck. I think uh, maybe Jesus was cool. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, I, I sit in that space of like, I really want to believe, like, I can't like stop, stop praying, but like, you're not going to find this dude in the church. That's for sure. I feel like I kind of am there, you know, I go back and forth one day. I believe in God. The next day I'm like, God is dead. And it just kind of goes back and forth. Um, I think Jesus was a cool guy. For the most part, I think I think he was cool. not who the church makes him out to be. For exactly. Sure. Like I'm, yeah. all, I'm all on board with like socialist Jesus. Like, that's, yeah, that's the because cool who dude. Jesus really was, the church wouldn't have been into. 
Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. he's probably closer to like Also the church literally crucified him, so. Yeah. Well, they sold him to the government that crucified. They There's, sold him to be crucified. Yeah. There's a real good uh, uh podcast I like called uh Beware Behind the Bastards. Uh it's a historical podcast and he talks about the history of the church and capitalism um, and how it's a uniquely um, he, he talks about it in context of the United States, which clearly, like, uh, the Catholic Church and money were very intertwined. But oh, he my talks parents about the are history. listening to this podcast. <laughs> They've been telling me about it. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> it's it's great. Like, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Okay. We're definitely, I'm going to have to listen Behind to Behind the Bastards. Okay. Behind yeah. the Bastards. It's, it's it. great. Uh, the best part of every episode is that he starts with a guttural yawp. Kind of like uh, from Dead Poet Society, like he he just starts a barbaric, uh, and we're here mm-hmm. with behind the bastards. Wow, what an entrance! Yeah, <laughs> we still don't know what our entrance is. It changes all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's see. We we kind of got to how you deconstructed. Yeah, you majored in anthropology. anthropology. Um, you also have a podcast, right? uh, Yeah, hiatus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, is your podcast about anthropology, or uh, is No, it... actually, uh, so my, my head, I've had a podcast for several years on and off called Wide Ruled, which is a podcast on the past and present of equality in education. Uh, the, that podcast came from, uh, came out of some documentary, uh, filmmaking I did, uh, we were looking at the landscape of opportunity and the elusive idea of the American dream. And I found myself surrounded by a lot of educators um, who are my friends. And I became really interested in how the, uh, the landscape of opportunity and education are so intertwined. And I never went to public uh, elementary school. So uh, there's also just some real curiosity there. because <laughs> so I've never gone to elementary school. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to... Were you homeschooled? Uh, uh, up till seventh grade, yeah. Okay, so both Rachel and I were also homeschooled. And I was mm-hmm. homeschooled until I graduated. All the way. Yeah, Gosh, K through... I can't, I can't yeah, imagine. Pre- like, pre-K through 12. Like, I it went to school... Really nah, dog. For second and third grade, and I was you in a Christian... You immediately, no. Were you all, all about a Becca? Yeah, a Becca and Bob Jones. But we were a Bob Jones family, but, like, I did a Becca when I went to school for two years at the missionary kids' school. It's like, the international school in Costa Rica went there for two years. And then I did like a couple extracurriculars at the missionary kid international school in Mexico city in like seventh and eighth grade. But that, that was the extent of my school experience. So given what you like, what your expertise is in with like the documentary making and the podcast that you did, mm-hmm. and then your background being homeschooled and being homeschooled by Christian curriculums and Christian parents, do you feel like, Okay, so like you're talking about like opportunity and the American dream and education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at white evangelicalism mm-hmm. and those patterns. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there are any correlations or intersections that you could speak to? Well, I don't know any people who were homeschooled who weren't also very evangelical. Uh, I was like, we had a, a home, a co-op or a cluster a cluster group we weren't a part of the co-op there was a co-op we were part of the cluster group and uh yeah all all families that were really 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 conservative and evangelical and uh 
messed up. I mean, I can't think of homeschool, uh, homeschool by its, by, by the nature of who a student is exposed to and the, uh, the lack of exposure to different people or different ideas. It's, it's a heavy form of brainwashing or heavy, like if we don't want to use the word brainwashing, we could use uh, the anthropological word, it's uh, enculturation into mm-hmm. the culture of the parents and yeah. the textbooks. Now, I think that happens in public schools too, because Texas controls our textbooks. So right. in public schools, you're also getting enculturated into the white supremacist American worldview um, mm-hmm. that privileges white males um, at the expense of all others. Right. Uh, but I think it's way worse in homeschool. Yeah. I think it's, um, I feel like it's magnified in homeschooling, especially yeah. because of the like evangelicalism being so like tied into home. Most homeschoolers are Christian and mm-hmm. we're already being like raised, especially if you're born a girl, you're being raised to be second, second class in your home. You're, uh, mm-hmm. you're a second class citizen in your home. You're a second class citizen in your church. If you're a girl, you are below the boys and the men. Yeah. You're you're going to be held accountable for their actions. And that's taught at a very young age that, you know, you're not going to, you don't need to be good at math because you're going to be a mother, right? Yeah. You don't need to study these really hard subjects because you're probably going to marry somebody who is going to make more money than you, you know, yeah. and you're going to be a good mom and you're going to work in the church nursery and like, that's, that's going to be your future. And I feel like I was stripped of a lot of educational opportunities because it was just kind of assumed that if I went to college, it's because I was going to go get married. You're going to get your MRS. Yeah. So yep. like my, I didn't have tutors for math and science, which I desperately needed. You know, I didn't yeah. get access to a real science lab in high school. I didn't even and, step into a lab until college. And and uh, so I'm a, I'm a data scientist now, and I am a huge fan of all these wonderful uh, women uh, and uh, and and uh, women and I get it. What, what would I? What am I trying to say? Uh, black and brown women who are now data scientists writing in the data feminism and data justice space. Um, there's so few of them because right. of what you just talked about, like exactly. a, an intentional pushing young girls away from STEM because that's not they don't belong there. Um, and right. it's creating huge problems so that these wonderful vocal uh, women scholars in that space are so needed because they're calling attention to like, hey, you white males are fucking us like again, like in another way. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I feel like um, if you were homeschooled, whether you're a boy or a girl, black or brown or white, whatever color, like you're already at a disadvantage. But if you were homeschooled and you weren't anything but a white male <clears throat> You've been more disadvantaged. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Homes, like one of the most important things about uh, public school is the, the socialization um, of like being socialized with your peers mm-hmm. and, and then networking, which parents know because that's why parents pay a ridiculous amount of money for elite private schools and things. Yeah. And if you're homeschooled, uh, you also miss out on that. Networking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. We, yeah, we've definitely talked about that a lot. We're just like feeling like we missed out or got behind or anything like that when it comes to homeschooling. I know that's one of, that was something I had to work through a couple of years ago was just being angry at my parents for a lot of that. 
Um, Especially once you start taking college classes or anything like that, you realize you don't know shit about fuck because, you know, or everything was, like you said, arranged in a Christian worldview. And then you find out there's other meanings to things or you take a sociology class and you start to understand the world better, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, huge disadvantage. And I don't think you're doing your kids any favors. If anything, it's a disadvantage and in some form of abuse to, you know, keep them in that small headspace. Then they got, get out into the world and they have to, you know, compensate for years and years and play catch up, not just socially, not just educationally, but it's like almost emotionally. Cause you're like, why would yeah. you do this to me? Which I is kind not, of the feelings that I had. I didn't get evaluated or um, diagnosed for ADHD. Um, and I would have if I had been in a real, like a public school. I definitely would have been sent in for evaluation. And I didn't because I was homeschooled. And the times I did go to school, it was a private missionary school. And they didn't really have the language for that kind of thing, you know, especially in Christian circles. And so I'm over here like struggling. I, I couldn't read until I was in third grade, third or fourth grade. Like, because I couldn't pay attention. And mm. then um, I would, I was always getting in trouble for talking, like constantly and fidgeting and not being able to sit still. Like, those are like classic signs. When you were in the, the, when I was like the, missionary the two school. years that I was in the missionary school, like there were all the signs were there mm. and I never got sent in for evaluation. My parents were like, she's fine. She's just going through transitions. She'll catch up. Well, Christians don't believe in ADHD. That's yeah, right. well, like I did catch up in certain places, but the places where I was really suffering were like in math and then mathy sciences, which are really hard for kids who have hard times concentrating and understanding mm-hmm. abstract concepts, like because we have ADHD. So it's like I I, I kind of get really upset sometimes where I'm like, on one hand, homeschooling did do me a service because I got to learn at my own pace and I didn't have to like live under the sh- the cloud of a diagnosis, but also I lacked being able to get tutors learning how to take tests, you know, all of these things that would have been really helpful for me in college, Mm. even knowing like, oh, you have this diagnosis. This is how you maneuver with it. This is how you work with it, you know? Yeah, because there's really, yeah, there's, there are are techniques and there are teaching methods, which like a a professional teacher would know um, that that might've helped you. And yeah, it sucks. Yeah. I, some, you know, something else like I think is, like, so in, in kind of studying the education system, like the, the Christian conservative right um, also tends to vote wildly in favor of school vouchers, um, school vouchers, which uh, allow the treat like tax dollars, like a like a coupon that everyone gets and then they can take it to whatever school they want. Mm. School vouchers have uh, increased school segregation so that our schools are more segregated now than they were in the, uh, say, 80s. Wow. Um, uh, and they, uh, where was it going with that? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, just cr- edit, edit that out. Christian- I totally lost my train of thought. Well, no, because Christian okay. Christians, evangelicals are they put these Christian schools push for school vouchers. Yeah. So basically, it's government money that they can use toward going to whatever school they want. Uh huh. And then it creates segregation pockets. That are it means happening. that the more the more uh, you have to be more uh, you have to have more leisure time as a parent, and you yeah. tend to be more wealthy if you're going to take advantage yeah. of school vouchers. So uh, more impoverished people, uh, people in urban uh, settings, um, are less likely to be able to take advantage of those vouchers, and so they get uh, 
stuck where they are, which then uh, also takes away valuable resources from schools that are already uh, struggling because of the history of real estate in our country. Yeah, and that's what your doc, uh, documentary was kind of about, right? The gentrification of yeah, like yeah. the the truce divide. Yeah, a couple. I've done a, several pieces of work about the the history of truce uh, in Kansas City. Truce is the um, historic uh, white black uh, rich poor dividing line in Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think grow, so. Growing up homeschooled, growing up. In, in Olathe, uh, on the Kansas Kansas suburbs where I did, and as a, as a white male, um, as, although as a white male going to like when I went to public school, I'm really 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 thankful that I went to schools that were um, racially and socioeconomically diverse. Uh, even so, the narrative I heard about truce in Kansas City was uh, that if you were a white if a white person and you went east of truce uh, into the black part of the city, you were either lost. And or in in danger. Um, uh huh. Same narrative I got too. My yeah. parents were very much don't go that way. Yeah, which which clearly is is such a white supremacist way of thinking. Because then, what are you saying about the people who have elected um, to live there? Uh, I'm shaking my head at myself. Elected, some of them didn't you wouldn't have chosen to live there. But right. what are you That's saying about what... the people who live there? Um, mm-hmm. That they that they are that they are dangerous people or that they are always in danger. Um, maybe one of those two is true that they are in danger, but it's uh, not because of themselves. Um, so I, I yeah. think a big reason that I ended up doing some of the documentary work that I did was uh, totally similarly with, with Christianity deconstructing and trying to unlearn the things I had learned. I wanted to unlearn the false narratives that I had learned growing up uh, and mm-hmm. to go about, with curiosity, rediscovering the world. Yeah, that's awesome, though. I That was a lot. See, I deconstructed very slow, so <clears throat> a lot of things I didn't realize were there until they just started, like, kind of popping up. So uh, in 2020, when all the BLM protests were happening, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of really good documentaries on Netflix and different things like that, um, and I, I did watch, I think I watched some of your documentary. I don't remember which one I did, but it popped up on my Facebook and I watched some of that. But I had to really educate myself. And there were so many things that I didn't know just because of how I was raised and what I learned. Yeah. And it was kind of like mind blowing to me that this stuff like wasn't taught to me. Totally. And um, I worked down in Brookside off Rock Hill and 63rd, which is just a couple streets over from Troost. Um for a while and like there's definitely like shit that went down you know the farther you know you go east but um I also felt like it was really great for me to educate myself and work that close there and then sometimes I would go down truce and and also the history that truce used to be such a like hot spot for shopping and like, you know, um, it was the cool place to go. You know, I don't even remember what time period this was, but it was for, it was before the whole divide. And like, when mm-hmm. you think of it in that sense, you're like, okay, so white guys did this. <laughs> you know? yeah. They got elected and we're like, uh, we don't, you know, we want people to come to the plaza or what, whatever took place of that. Um, and it's just, it's interesting. And I, I know it's not just Christians that are being taught this, but it's also just mind blowing to see how much white supremacy is wrapped up 
in at least Western Christianity and evangelicalism. And I think we're seeing it more now with the Christian nationalism and with all this other crazy shit that is going down with like, oh, now we're going to force our beliefs on you and overturn Roe v. Wade and a bunch of other stupid shit. So, yeah, yeah, uh, do the, the, anti, the anti-CRT movement. Like, okay, anyone who's anti-CRT doesn't understand what the fuck CRT is, uh, critical race theory, that's... Mm-hmm. hugely infuriating. Uh, yeah. 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 And how they don't want it taught in schools. And for some reason that threatens them. And I'm like, how it's, it's, it's not <laughs> taught in schools. If it was taught in schools, uh, it would be way over the heads of most students. It is not something you teach as a, as content. It is a, it's a lens. Um, it is literally an understanding of how identity plays into, uh, anything like there's mm-hmm. critical race theorists theorists uh, people who use the, the the language and under lens of critical race theory across many disciplines it's not it's not a content that has ever been taught in american schools if it had those schools would have been dope as fuck they just don't want them to teach black history and like how white people enslaved black people Right. And made them do- build this whole country. Yeah, they don't backs. want white people to be the bad guys, and I don't so, think they no. want white people to be the minority either. Yeah, uh, so I, I, I didn't hear. So is even in public thunder, school, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is like a banned book. Oh, I don't know. And it's it's about a family that live. They were sharecroppers, mm. and um, it's about a little girl and her brother, and um, they go there. It's like all segregated Alabama. And this isn't that long ago. I remember reading this when I was in middle school and this book took place, I want to say, in the 50s. The mm. 50s. The 40s or the 50s. So it wasn't that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this and I was like, oh, my grandma was alive when this book was written. Like with yeah. sto- the time around, around the time that this book was depicting um, of, of this, you know, family who were this black family that were severely impoverished living on a plantation working for pennies mm-hmm. and yeah, slavery like, part two. It, yeah. It, yeah. Literally slavery part two. And that was in the fifties that, yeah. that, that like, I know people whose grandparents grew up on sharecropping farms yeah. That was not that long ago, but like we, we were, um, it's not taught in schools that these things were not that long ago and that the United States is still doing this mm-hmm. in many different ways. Yeah. Like when a system is systemically rigged against you, it means that even if there are no racists in the room, the system will still hurt the people it's meant to hurt. Yeah. Rachel, you talked a minute ago about the, uh, the the history well we were talking about the history of truce and like the white men who made decisions that uh, caused a truce to be the divide that it is today uh, the as when you go down south on truce like there were neighborhoods that were all white up until the late seventies or into the eighties um, yeah but but now we don't think about the fact that this is recent history like growing up after the eighties thinking that oh it must have always always been this way. In public schools, and again, in public schools that had a, a for suburban Kansas City, quite diverse population, I didn't learn about Emmett Till until after college. I didn't learn about the Greenwood Massacre happening in a neighboring state of Oklahoma uh, until after college. Like, literally one of my black friends, like, took me aside and was like, you you don't know about Emmett. Like you need to look this guy up. Like you need to understand this. Um, and I 
thank him for his graciousness and for not like slapping me across the face. Like, um, I remember when the, um, when everything was happening, I want to say this was like in 2014 when all this stuff was happening in, um, in, was it in Arkansas or Missouri? There was that one city. Ferguson. Ferguson. Yes. Outside St. Louis. And yes, right outside St. Louis. And we were, yes, we were in Kansas city with, um, Rachel's in-laws, my cousin and aunt and uncle. And, um, we're watching this on the news and, um, you know, nobody was really saying anything. Everyone was just kind of watching and I was watching and I didn't, I, I didn't really understand cause I didn't grow up in the United States. So I didn't really understand what, what I was watching and what was going on and why, why were, why, why were the white people saying that this isn't a big deal and why are black people so upset? <laughs> like <laughs> I was so confused because I was taught that racism died in the sixties that's what I was taught. And, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't taught anything else. <laughs> so in this, you know, I had dropped out of college. I was in trade school at the time. I had um, a black roommate and I got home from that trip and I sat down with her and I was like, Hey, um, I know this isn't your responsibility to do this, but can you explain to me what's going on? Because I don't understand what's going on on a, like a cultural level. I don't understand. I saw this stuff on the news. I'm seeing this stuff, you know, in the paper, like, but I, it's like, I don't know what's going on. And she was like, oh, dude, let me tell you. And she did. And I'm so grateful. Like, I will forever be grateful for that relationship and living with her through those times and being able to, it was like almost like a foreshadowing. I feel like Ferguson was like a foreshadowing of what was going to happen in 2020. Um, but truly it was, it was so helpful to have someone um, basically shed light on a whole part of history I knew nothing about because I, I, I quite literally wasn't taught that it even happened. Hey, can I push back on that just a little bit with the 2014 being a foreshadowing of what happened in 2020? Well, just think, in like the way that people were like standing up and like the uprisings of I, it. I think it, it may be in the way that white people perceived it. Yeah. Or per- oh, yes, perceived that. it. Because yes. the, the history of black resistance is the I think the the least taught part of American history, right? Exactly, and and it's it's something that needs there needs to be more a, a liberation movement. Liberation movements must call attention to the fact that people who have been oppressed have always and continuously mm-hmm. fought back against the oppressors. It was I, white I people I, getting I involved. It was the white people getting involved and actually taking like, oh, maybe we should be concerned about this. Yeah, and like t- t- like standing up as well. I think that that's what color that me was, very skeptical. V skeptical. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think there's always been, like, white alleys, always. But I don't think that it was, like, I don't think people were really sitting down and having those conversations until that point. Like, can, because can I know... Can you name one? What? Like, n- n- f- name a... Like, there, I, I can name a few, uh, but, I, but I'm just, I'm truly curious. I don't mean, I'm not trying to uh Like, do you feel like white advocate? people didn't show up to, like, the marches in the 60s with Martin Luther King? Because they, they were did. there. Like, yeah, yeah. historically, there, yes, we know they did. Historically, there have but been But can people, you name, yeah. like, like, a white male, a white male figure who, like, actively, publicly fought against slavery? Absolutely not. Immediately, so few of them. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't need the like Abraham Lincoln, but barely. Like, oh, I don't. Think, I wouldn't count him. I truly. I don't would count, not him. count him. No, I don't count him. He, no, mm-hmm. that's no. You can't count that. Um, that I no, I can't. 
So I there's, there's a few, like there, there's a few, but like I, I think that that's the point, though. The point is that like yeah. the the history of of resistance uh, to oppression is a history of people of color oppressed people working to liberate themselves, and then yeah. working to a point of interest convergence when white people deem it in their interest. Deem it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Deem it. Deem it in uh, in their interest mm-hmm. to cave. Yeah. No. It is super funny too because like that is that is the history of it. First of all, so it is hilarious when white people think they're really doing a great thing by suddenly taking concern and taking action. And I joined a book putting, club, putting which a black I did join square a on their Instagram yeah. and the BLM <laughs> around their profile picture. And it's like, OK, you're doing OK. Good job. Like, <laughs> do you want mm-hmm. a cookie? Like, <laughs> This this should be an ongoing thing. This shouldn't shouldn't just be when it's trending um, yeah. or because all your friends are doing it or because now it's convenient for you. Or because um, now we were all undergoing collective trauma. Like there's, yeah. I think what I've, uh, I heard a a therapist on the podcast, uh, it's Dan Harris's podcast, uh, 10% Happier, mm. um, analyze, um, kind of do a, a real brief analysis about how the, the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the, the surplus of white people that joined it in 2020, um, in part happened because white people were undergoing a trauma with the pandemic and when you're um, undergoing a change it's easier to make other changes or or maybe yeah. for the first time many white people were feeling oppressed uh if he to call that but oppressed <laughs> in a way yeah mm-hmm. i feel like the ones that were feeling oppressed though weren't probably showing up to the marches if you get my drift yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. A- anti-maskers anti-vaskers yeah, yeah. Va- vaskers i can't Vaskers. 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 I I love love where this conversation has gone to because like I've been waiting to have this conversation about like white evangelicalism, how fucking sheltered we all were from all of this stuff and then how this plays into systemic racism and white supremacy and how like white evangelicalism, Christianity at its core is white supremacy. It has its history baked in white supremacy. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't separate the two. You can't have one without the other, really. Yeah. And the more you deconstruct, the more you see it, the more it unravels. And it's, yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy because you don't think of Christianity. Well, now we do, but initially you don't really think of Christianity as like white supremacist at all. No, because but. it's like, oh, but we accept everyone and we love everyone right. and everyone's God God's loves child. everyone. God loves everyone and everyone's God's child. Okay, but like you won't go to the the east side of Joliet um because it's, you know, majority black and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Um and during the, you know, whatever protests that you lived through, they raised the bridges and separated the white side from the black side. Like this happened in my hometown outside of Chicago. Um there were people in our church who straight up would not let their kids go to the east side of Joliet for any reason. Yeah. And like when we would ask them, well, I remember when the bridges went up. That's what Why they did the say. bridges go up? The bridges went up because of urban renewal, because of, like as a, a mechanism of slum clearance. Like, Literally. And every city. They si- didn't so- want the poor people to come over to where the white people right. were living. Every city has, like almost every city in the country, even small towns, even Olathe have right, these racial dividing lines that are embedded into our into our landscape mm-hmm. and then we have almost every large city in the united states also has in addition to whatever the dividing line is they also have a highway um it was a a, a concerted 
effort. But here's, yeah. but here's, I think, part of it. So, so something that's, I think, like closely embedded with that, because it also has to do with real estate, with zoning laws. Um, like uh, uh, majority black neighborhoods in this country are also in closer proximity to toxic fumes from from factories yep, and other 100%. sort of environmental environmental racism. Think about the mechanism, like really think about the mechanism of how those decisions were made. If you have a a uh, some sort of decide decisioning board that's all white people and probably all white men, and they're in a room deciding about where is the coal plant going to go where, where are we going to like, we have to look at this map and we have to figure out where are we going to zone for a factory. Even if those people aren't uh, explicitly racist, they may make decisions simply based on who their associations are, who their mm-hmm. friends are. If, if they, if they have dinner parties and everyone at the dinner party is white and lives near them, mm-hmm. then they're not going to put a factory in their neighborhood or the neighborhood right. of their their best friends their who lives a couple of, uh, well, I, I don't, I don't even mean that. Like not, not yeah. even elected officials, not even elected officials, because they don't want to have their friend come to them later and say, "Hey, didn't you have power to to keep that factory out of my neighborhood, out of proximity mm-hmm. to me?" So the fact that we're segregated has this multiplicative effect. That yeah. once once we're we're segregated in one way. We begin to to continue to get segregated in other ways, which also happens in our digital space with our social right. medias, um, our workplaces. It's, it's everywhere. So this brings up a really interesting story. Um, it, it's an observation. Now, um, this person is not, as far as I know, any a Christian or anything like that. They're just like, this is a white person who lives um, in a nice neighborhood in Chicago, on the north side of Chicago. So... Chicago is a city where um, it had a lot of factories. It still does. A lot of refineries, a lot of factories. And um, before the city was zoned for deep segregation, um, the factories were kind of like spread out throughout the whole city. So there are still remnants of this, like the industrial, when when the city was mostly just industrial, um, on the north end, like the north side of the city, where it's like traditionally more wealthy white folks live. So um, I worked over there and there was like this big uh, metal factory where they took um, scrap metal and refined it down. And um, I knew somebody who lived in the neighborhood behind this factory. And I remember hearing about how her and her friends were petitioning and campaigning to have this factory shut down. They wanted this place shut down. They were, they were working very hard to get it shut down. Now I lived on the west side of the city where all the factories are there this was one factory in one neighborhood i lived in a neighborhood where within a one block radius of my apartment there were six factories all which had um sketchy zoning and they were letting off all sorts of sketchy fumes and dumping chemicals into the rivers like it was terrible and this was right by my house i remember at one point i couldn't drink the water from my sink for like a month because it tasted like chemicals because they must have dumped something and it got into my water line. Like, nobody was giving a shit about the neighborhood I was in. There were local people in the neighborhood um, who were like social justice people who were organizing and trying to talk to the aldermen to to get them to move these factories out, right? Some of the one and get get, get them under control. But it, it was like, okay, we can't really remove them because a lot of us work at these factories, right? The community, we all work here. Um, 
it's, we can't do too much because, because we don't have that power. So like, they're not complaining as much. Right. But this one white woman in the North side of the city, her and all her little friends were going to get this factory shut down because it was two blocks from her daughter's kindergarten and it let off some black smoke a couple times a day. It's just interesting to me, like just really interesting to look at the two situations, like the neighborhood I lived in and what my experience was. And then this woman and where she lived and the privilege she had, where she could literally just get a couple of her friends together for coffee. And they just decided they were going to shut this factory down. And I don't know if they ended up succeeding, but that was like her whole like vendetta. Like it was like her thing she was going to do. It was a really good podcast. You should take that freaking energy and put that in my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really good podcast called nice white uh, parents. Nice. Yeah. Nice white parents, which is about how the movement that the, the power that white people hold to, to gentrify and to create change in schools, particularly um, and how it's, it is different uh, because predicated on our history than the power that people of color hold. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer. Yeah. Like there was, I just keep remembering the pictures and videos I was seeing of like these teams of, of people who work in like social justice um, in the, in Pilsen, Chicago, where I was living, like begging, like fighting with the aldermen, like showing up all the time, like having these big town hall meetings and nothing was getting done. So many people were showing up to this, like 50, 80 people, but three white women and like a little petition had way more power in a white neighborhood. Mm. Well, white women, she probably knew a ton of people as well. Yeah. It's just you know so I mean? it's that networking thing. Yeah. 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 So interesting. The, 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 the people holding power knew her, knew her or her <clears throat> friends. Like there was or her uh, husband or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't really realize thing. your privilege until you see shit like that. And you're like, Oh, like I definitely can make things happen so much easier. Than yeah. someone who's like disadvantaged compared to like my station with like the color of my skin and the education I have and maybe the people that I was am associated with based on how I grew up or where mm-hmm. I grew up or what school I went to. Yeah. Do you um still do any of that type of work at all? Um, I I I have an interesting story. I don't know if we want to get into it. I have an interesting story of, of actually stopping a project uh, recently because I realized uh, that I had more work to do on myself, um, that I was bringing, bringing in um, my, my history with the church is very much a history of adoring shame in a way mm. uh, that I went to, to church. Uh, my, my wife like was the one who really helped me to see this. I went to church to get my weekly dose of shame. So when I started to do documentary work um, around the history of, of segregation, around uh, the inequitable uh, landscape of opportunity, I was bringing that same shame into my work. Like I wanted to, I wanted white people to watch my documentaries and feel shame. Mm. Uh, I think one that came into really clear focus. Don't we all um, want to do that though? Like make white people feel shame. <laughs> is it is it it's the best a, way though? Is no, it the it's best not the way? best way, but it is fun. <laughs> I, I did. So I, I, after I had done uh, quite a few uh, documentaries and, and, and quite a quite a bit of work around the history of segregation, I had the opportunity to be a, a producer under the uh, tutelage of of a black producer. 
very similar story that I had told before about the history of segregation in Kansas City. We were looking at a specific neighborhood, the Santa Fe Place neighborhood. The documentary is awesome. It won an Emmy. It's called Land of Opportunity. I highly recommend it. Uh, Shout out to Nico Giles. The story that he led us to tell, the, the story that he told was so different than the stories I had told about the same history. Because the story I told was one um, from a deficit lens. It was one uh, about uh, my shame. My shame worked itself into my art. He told the story from from a standpoint of victory and persistence and activism and love and joy. Yeah. Producing that with him was such a, a huge moment um, of like uh, understanding the importance of of how I go about that work um, and how it has to be. Um, I, it's just how I have so much more to learn and I, got, and I can't, and it's not something I can do by myself. And I, not that I have, but uh, that was a, a kind of a big reality moment. Uh, and it clearly not one that I, I learned right away because it was the next project that I was working on that we ended up stopping. Uh, we were creating a game, um, a classroom game, which was meant to simulate the mechanics of, of residential segregation, how it happened from uh, the beginning to the end of the 20, 20th century. Um, cool idea, lots of energy around it. Uh, and it, it sort of worked uh, in that it created a very emotional response in the white students who played it. But the uh, students of color who played it uh, there was literally a student who said, hey, what is this game going to teach me except what I already know through everyday life? Um, so other... is this something that black students need to really like sit through? Yeah. I like, mean, that was the question. We, we stopped yeah. because because we we're like, you know, we're not our education system. We don't know how to to create a game like and then hand it over to teachers and say, hey, make your white students teach this but not your black students. Yeah, like make your white students play this, but your black students, they don't need to because they're, they're, they already know this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's great organizations like Surge showing up for racial justice, which which are um, about white people getting together to deconstruct their, their racism. Uh, but I, I, think, I think there are times where that may not be the right. Uh, to separate us again when we're already so separated right. may not be the right response. So I've kind of paused on some of that work um, like I said, I, before I am, I'm a data scientist now and that the area that I find myself really interested in and I, I, I teach data science is around how all of this history of racism and segregation in our country gets embedded into our computer models. Um, yeah. and it gets embedded into our computer models without ever mentioning race. Um, and with tons of, uh, ostensibly well-meaning programmers just going about their business. Right. Um, and I, I think it's a hugely invisible area that needs a lot more attention and uh, uh, regulation from from the government. You know, I was I read an article about that, um, about how these are well-meaning programmers, but the majority of them are now shaping the world and culture through a white and nerdy lens. I mean, I'm all for the nerdy, but yeah. <laughs> just so white and nerdy. <laughs> No, the it's it's like I think that that's that's the picture of systemic racism, uh, systemic racism at large, though. You like can say it systemic doesn't. Systemic raisin, it's okay. <laughs> I think I'm a big that fan of raisins. Of this, uh, episode, but I'm systemic not a big raisin. fan of racisms. Uh, <laughs> gosh, John, I can't speak racisms. Um, yeah, there's more more than one way to do racism. Uh, I think there, there definitely is. <laughs> uh, 
I think the major the way that racism is usually done is through people carrying on traditions in well-meaning. Like that's the point of yeah. the dividing lines tour, which I produced, was to try to show mm-hmm. that that people trying to uh, do making decisions out of good business or good financial decisions led to the segregation of our communities and the stripping of of millions of dollars of wealth from the black community. Right. Um, it's like so what it, I said it always in the beginning. happens from well-meaning people. Yeah, it's like what I said in the beginning. The system is built racist. It's a racist structure. It's built in. So even if there are no racists running the system, if they're still running the system, the system is still going to oppress people of color. Because that's yeah. how it's built. Yeah. And I think that, like, I'm a big fan of um, Ibram Kendi. He wrote the book Stamp from, Stamp from the Beginning and uh, uh, how, to, how to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, but he... he he raises the the idea that the term racist is so unhelpful anyway, that yeah. like there's far fewer racists than there are uh, people who do racist actions. Well-meaning people that, who do yeah, racist yeah, actions. Yeah, which is also yeah. a point that Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. made. Uh, but, but the point being that like may, maybe it's more helpful if instead of we try to judge a person as racist or not, we try to judge... Uh, we adjudicate individual actions on their yes. relative. How are they leading to the liberation of more people or how are they hurting more people? Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And um, what you were saying about shame um, kind of made me think a little bit about how, you know, growing up Christian and evangelical, like shame is like so built into our psyche. And I think that kind of carries over when we start to deconstruct our whiteness as well. And um where we're at with all of that. So <laughs> kind of bringing shame into that. I remember kind of going through this phase and I still do where like, I, I feel a tremendous amount of shame around my whiteness and around who I am and um, the privilege I grew up in. And I think that we need to kind of step away from that and be like, no, we can recognize that we don't have to feel shame, but we need to now go do something to maybe um, you know, work towards changing policies in a in a really, really poorly built racist system <laughs> um, and taking action in like real tangible ways instead of just sitting on my laptop, scrolling on Facebook and like feeling all of this tremendous shame around my whiteness. <laughs> it's a both and like we need both. Like we have yeah. to do anti-racism work uh, is uh, personal work um, and it is public work. Uh, Rhonda V. McGee, um, a black legal scholar and meditation teacher, talks about the inner work of racial justice um, and how we have to unravel the racism that lives inside of us. Um, I think that's a lifelong journey. Uh, I think that it, it takes continual work to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Just like deconstructing from Christianity. Yes. Absolutely. And, I think, and they go hand in hand. I think if you're deconstructing Christianity, um, whether you're a white person or a person of color, like you are going to need to deconstruct white supremacy as well. That's because they go mm. hand in hand. And mm-hmm. um We've had a few guests on who were um, black women who were raised in the evangelical church, and they've spoken on that and how they had to also deconstruct white, like how white supremacy had kind of like gotten into their psyches of how they viewed themselves based around their Christian indoctrination, um, because mm-hmm. it's so hand in hand, and it's just it's it's deep, deep. There, work. There's a, 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 a... Man, I can't remember who the author is, but there's a a, a paper about um, the tenets of white supremacy culture, and and two of them I can think of right off the bat that that coalesced so uh, distinctly with 
with evangelical Christianity, um, perfectionism and urgency. Uh, mm. Perfectionism, because if you're if you are sinning, you're wrong, and there's there's shame for that. You need to repent. You need to fix it. You have to be perfect. There's a verse in the Bible: uh, "Be perfect as your Father is perfect," or some something like that. Uh, that like teaches perfectionism. So that's a tenet of white supremacy at large, and it's very explicitly in white evangelical Christianity. Uh, the other one is urgency, and that's another one of the tenets. Um, and I can't name them all the the tenets of white supremacy. Uh, for me, growing up, like uh, we're in the end times, um, mm. you need to save people before they're all going to go to hell, before the rapture, and all that. Mm. So there is this constant state of of urgency that uh, that keeps us from from uh, pausing and reflecting or uh, uh, any number of things. But it's a, a part of white supremacy culture that exists, and it's the water we the water we tread. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah you, it, like once once you start unraveling, it's just all gonna come a tumbling down. I think there we all have a lot of. I have so much more work to do, and um, thank you for sharing your story and your deconstruction and like where you're at in your process and 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 the beautiful work you've been doing with these documentaries. I I can't wait to see what your next project is. I know you're gonna keep doing stuff. Like maybe you're on a pause right now to do inner work, but I know there's more things around the corner. Mm-hmm. hopefully yeah cre- creators <laughs> have to keep creating that's that's how yeah. we're built i don't know if yeah yeah yeah, yeah. thanks <laughs> <laughs> you will you will it will be something maybe maybe it won't be in the form of a documentary maybe it'll be in a, the, a form of a you know a book you help write or a study you help lead or a class you teach maybe you'll know. start blogging yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll have a <laughs> vlog. Like, maybe you'll go back to being a podcaster. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Well, thanks for being with us today, Nathaniel, or this evening. Um, I have one quick question sure. before we wrap up. I, sure. I'm just wondering: um, is your is your family still very much in the evangelical realm, like your brother and your? Your mom and dad. I'm just curious. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Extreme. How do you navigate that with them? I don't have a very close relationship. <laughs> well, that's oh. not true. Uh, I don't have a. I, I'm. <laughs> I made that really bad. Uh, I, I'm pretty close to my parents. I'm, I'm actually not very close to my brother. I, I love my brother to death uh, and his family. I'm not very close with them, and I and I and my family doesn't. I'll put it this way. I think a year and a half ago, my my mom asked me if I was watching uh, The Chosen, which was some. Oh, I watched it. It's good. Okay. Was it? Yeah, the it's one actually on Netflix really good. That was like it's, a modern day. No. One about Jesus. No. Okay. I didn't it's watch called it The Chosen. It's an app. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Oh, right, right. right. No, 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 hold the on. App. Yeah. no, no, no. Then I'm not, then I'm then I've used the wrong term because it it's was about the disciples of Jesus. It's about Jesus's disciples, like was Mary it Magdalene. The, but it wasn't a series. The, I'm it thinking a, of a it's series. A ser- it's a series. The Netflix series? Oh. It's not a Netflix series. It's called The Chosen. It's an app that you have to get. What? And you can watch this show on this app. Why do you have to it, have the app? Dude, they're the, taking your information. Because they created their own streaming. For sure. Like their own streaming but, but is it free? Yeah, it's free. Oh, bro. They're taking your data. Guaranteed. Oh, totally. Um, but okay. it's, a, it's actually super, super good. And I watched all of it. And like, it's actually excellent. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, I haven't it's watched it. As an anthropologist, you should watch it. I think you would enjoy it. I, I probably, I'm going to, I'll be honest, I probably won't. Uh, and, I'm, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not in, interested. But, but from the point of my, no. the, the conversation with my parents was that my mom asked me if I had watched it. And uh, was uh, it was just me saying that I wasn't watching it was incredibly tense. Oh, uh, interesting. Because it was, it was like something I should have done. And they, oh, oh no, no, that's right. And she was like, um, well, well, why not? Well, why are you not watching? Can I, can I ask why? Um, and I didn't really give a I've full answer. Because I've never heard answer. of it. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, it's, I don't feel like watching a Jesus. I watched the story of Jesus every year at Easter. Watched that's Jesus right. Nazareth every single year for 18 years was, of my life. I, I was in the play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I know the story. I think what I, what I like about the chosen is it's not about Jesus. It's about his disciples and it shows huh. their, be, them being just like human and like fighting and having problems and conflict huh. and how they interacted with Jesus. And it kind of shows like a bigger historical context and a social context of what it was like to travel with Jesus in those mm. times. That's about it. That's like what I w- like really pulled from it was like, okay, this is what this story is trying to show. It's a different perspective. And then um, I really relate to like Mary Magdalene a lot and her story. And Mm. um, I'm very fascinated by everything about Mary Magdalene and like um, fascinated by the whole concept of like maybe her and Jesus being lovers, like, and the, um, the, the, I think it's like the, there's like some Egyptian transcripts. I forgot what it's called, but it's like this book that are all about like Mary Magdalene and Jesus's love affair and how they had a child through sex magic. And so interesting to me. I'm fascinated. So she is a big character in this show. We got all the way back to being weird and, and uh, Wiccan. (laughs) I told you, I told you I'm a witch. (laughs) I told you, um, (laughs) but no, I I really enjoyed it because it really kind of showed her story more. I feel like in like other shows and movies like Jesus of Nazareth or whatever, they kind of, just show her as like she was a wicked woman who then just like washed Jesus's feet and then suddenly she's serving food with his mother to all the disciples and that's all you hear about her and in this show they actually go into her backstory and who she was and um what her relationship with everyone in the group was like and it's interesting it's very it's just interesting they also chose uh actors from that region so it's not I did see that and that was that was that was cool yeah yeah it's so a well-made. It, I would say it's a well-made show. <laughs> it has really interesting historical perspective. Molly really wants you to watch it. You don't have to He's watch like, it. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. For my listeners, guys, my listeners who maybe are still like rocking with Jesus a little bit, like give it a listen. Give it a watch. It's good. I, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. It would feel too like it would be. It would be so true. I think. Then don't uh, watch it. If it would trigger a you. Story mm-hmm. would be triggering. Yeah. So I'm. Mean, but yeah. to, to answer the question about. Uh, like my, my family. So they're, they're definitely there. And I, it's not, I've never had an explicit conversation to say, Hey, here's where I'm at. So you're not out to your family, are you? Yeah. If they find out like they, I mean, it was a big deal when, um, you know, I, it, I'm such a public person on, on Facebook and social media. They know that I vote Democrat and, uh, that, oh, God um, forbid. Yeah, big deal. I mean, not that I'm an, and not that I'm enamored by the Democrats, but I keep forgetting that like super super fundamentalist Christians are like, if you vote Democrat, like that's the worst thing you could that's possibly. Because like, your parents are liberal AF. They've and they've always been that way, like basically since like Man, Bush's second run. But we're in the like, Bible Belt. Molly. I know. I keep we forgetting. Here. I'm like, wow. I remember 
like going to my grandma's house in in and my like them talking favorably favorably about Clinton and how like I literally left thinking like oh man my grandparents are evil they're going to hell they're going to hell because they like oh, Clinton no. oh my goodness that's so oh, extreme. Yeah. That's you so guys, extreme that as a child you were thinking that way. As a little baby, yeah. You know how um, Christians take things and just kind of like, if this person isn't following my version of Christianity, they're going to hell. Um, do you guys remember the author Rob Bell, who wrote the book Love Wins? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Big, uh, yeah. So Ugh. when I lived in West Michigan, I was going to school out there. Um, <clears throat> I was really close to his home church. And he had since left the church. He was no longer pastoring it, but it used to be his church. And so me and my friends from college decided to go to his church, um, former church, and uh, just like go to a service. This was before I started deconstructing. And then we went back to my friend's grandma's house for Sunday dinner. And she's like, oh, what church did you guys go to? And my friend told her and she was like, oh, isn't that the church that Rob Bell used to pastor? And we're like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, the author of Love Wins. I love that book. And she's like, yeah. He is no longer That's a follower right. of Christ. That's right. You know why? <laughs> it's because John Piper canceled him. Because John Piper apparently has that power. He has the power to just, wow. um, interestingly, tweet. Huh, who else Who else tweeted big proclamations recently? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> to just tweet and excommunicate someone. Apparently, he has that power. He's done it to... Uh, Rabel and Lecrae and That's probably so lots interesting. Of other yeah, I was just cracked up because I I, I remember hearing that she, he is he is not a follower of Jesus and all this and I'm like I just read Love Wins. The guy loves Jesus. He loves the shit out of Jesus. Like I don't know what you're talking about, lady, but he has not lost the faith. Like he's still in the faith. He's I deep. <laughs> really like John Piper's son. I follow him on TikTok. Oh yes, I his son love is the fucking shit dope. out of all of his content. Oh. Wait. Is he deconstructing? It's so good. He's oh, he's totally an ex-evangelical. Yeah, Does he talk to his dad? I don't know. I wonder. But I'll man. send you his stuff, Molly. It's I'm sure I've posted it on the Instagram before, but his shit than, is so good. I think yeah. this makes so me happier good. than watching Josh Harris have a podcast and like videos where he talks about like how terrible like the purity culture was. <laughs> I've read his books. Yeah, same. Like, like this, like fills me with joy when I hear of like all of the children of of the big yeah. like fundy leaders and mm-hmm. writers and 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 influencers. I guess you could call them in their own right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. coming out. It's got to be embarrassing for it. John, but uh, yeah, we're hey, here for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, so join our Facebook group, Molly. Do you want to go into that spiel? Well, we have an outro now, don't we? So the outro can talk about it. Oh, that's right. We do. <laughs> yeah. Join our Facebook group, guys. It's Find It. It's Choose to Leaving um, support group on Facebook. Please answer the questions and so I can let you in. Join the conversation. Um, you can DM us on Instagram and tell us your stories or just shoot the shit with us. Um, yeah. Please Wait. reach out yeah. and talk to us. Wait. So if I, if I want to join <laughs> and then I say that I'm interested in like, learning uh about the uh you know people's beliefs in the area will i will i be will i be le- <laughs> no this is an inside so joke i guess immediately no <laughs> immediately no <laughs> there there's definitely like certain things i'm looking for when people are answering the questions um yeah i have noticed we that did have someone once say that they wanted to like observe or something they did not right? get let in yeah they no they didn't to... but like no. it was weird they it were like not weird. looking for support they were like we want to observe and like anyway 
They were writing immediately. No, they were a Christian. And I looked at their Facebook. They were like part of a church and all of this. And they were doing a project for college. They probably went to a Christian college and they were doing some (laughs) thing where they were observing. And she probably just wanted to observe like the shit that we were talking about Christians and then write a paper about it. Who knows? But it's a private group. Sure, It probably, yeah, it probably would have been harmless, but also no. Just I had another, so something interesting, because we were talking about like racism and white supremacy and social justice and stuff. Um, After a Roe versus Wade episode, um, I did have somebody reach out to my Facebook. They like messaged me on Facebook, which was interesting, um, talking about wanting to come onto the podcast. And it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because they're um, basically doing mission work in um an african country and it's so this is a white person and um so they wanted to, they wanted to, yeah they wanted to talk about the work they're doing and raise support for their organization or their project and they wanted to use our platform and i was like do you listen to our podcast what? like this is no place on our podcast like i'm you a former no mi- place here, like sir. i'm a former missionary kid like <laughs> we don't need I'm not trying to that promote someone wild. else's mission work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not here to promote mission work. <laughs> like, if you feel like what you're doing is good, good for you. Like, she was like, well, my church dropped all their support of my, from me because I'm bi and um, because of something else. I think there was another reason that their church okay, dropped their well, support. Okay, well, that's very sad. And I was like, okay, also- so you're trying to raise funding, but you're not, you're, why would you come onto an ex-evangelical podcast to raise funding if oh, you still man. believe in God and you're running a mission in an African country as I a mean, white person, I mean, if you want so s- to throw tomatoes at you, I might be down. <laughs> there's you, definitely uh, some. It sounds like there's uh, that that person still needs to do some deconstructing or uh, yeah, they, I was they just got like, a colonized mind going on. Yeah, I was yeah. just like really confused, and I know that it may you know deep down because like I was a missionary kid, I think deep down like it's coming. Well-meaning people, it's well-meaning people, people who are really just trying to be good people. But you know you're not doesn't mean, doing doesn't it from mean a they're place not hurting of understanding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's and you're not coming from a place of understanding. It's it's you know from so a place of ignorance. So were our parents and look like at I us would prefer now. to donate to an organization. <laughs> like the the thing that they were doing wasn't bad. It was like we're trying to give more like women more rights and access to health care in this country. That's awesome. Okay, okay but can fine, we maybe let's donate to like yeah? Can we like donate to maybe like a local organization that's doing it? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe give us that information. Also, like, this was after the Roe versus Wade podcast. So we're talking about here in the United States where people are disadvantaged already. And we were talking about raising funding for grassroots organizations led by people of color in their own communities and donating to those. Like, why would you reach out for me to donate to something that's going on in another country? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm very confused. (laughs) So yeah, guys, like we want to read your messages and we want you to come on the podcast, but like, make sure that like what you're wanting to come on for. Don't ask us dumb questions. Yeah. It needs to align <laughs> with what we're doing. <laughs> Cause I mean, I'd if, be they've, confused. if they've listened this far and they've gotten here, they're, they've got to be in. They've, you've, you've, you listeners must, must be the right people. If you've listened. Yeah. Like if you're still mm-hmm. rocking with us, like you're, you're our people, but like, if you're asking me to fund your mission trip to Africa, you can fuck all the way off. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. Will I fun? You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it immediately. No. Okay. Let's end this.
Um, we love you guys. Nathaniel, thank you for coming on. Do you want people to find you? Do you want people to follow you? Do you yeah. want people to follow if your you, podcasts? Yeah, I, I will go to my website, uh, NathanielBozarth.com. Um, it's as easy as that. If you can spell my name, you can get there. Uh, and, um, <laughs> That's the challenge, everyone. <laughs> uh, and then check out my work. Uh, check out the uh, Land of Opportunity. Uh, you can uh, just search in Land of Opportunity KCPT on YouTube. And it's a great documentary. Uh, Take the Dividing Lines tour um, available on uh, Voice Map app if you download that app or go to uh, another difficult URL, dividinglines.jocolibrary.org. And uh, there's a, a virtual reality version of the Dividing Lines tour that's uh, pretty cool. This will all be in the show notes. It will. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see you next week, everyone. Yep. Love you guys. Sleep well tonight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to leave. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Cheers to Leaving. Sound and editing by Cameron Smith. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe and share with your friends and others who are deconstructing. Are you looking for a safe space to deconstruct and be in community with others who are also in the same process? Join our Facebook support group. Just answer the questions when you request to join. Be a part of the conversation, meet like-minded individuals, and get some support. Find the link in our show notes or search for Cheers to Leaving support group on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Cheers to Leaving. Email us at cheers to leaving at gmail.com with your stories about leaving evangelicalism. See you next week. <laughs>